0: I guess we're ready to go now. I'm Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm real happy to be with you this morning. Uh, What I want to talk to you about this morning is the problem that we have. I find that many alcoholics and drug-addicted people do not get well because they simply don't understand what's wrong with them. Okay? Now, I'm a sober person, and I've been sober for a long time. And when I talk with you about sobriety, I do not mean just not drinking or just not drugging. When I talk about sobriety... I mean a state of being which is characterized by freedom and happiness. You see, I found a way to live where I can stay high about 95% of the time without the drugs of u- uh, use of drugs and alcohol. And that's a very important thing to me. Because of the kind of person that I am, I have to be high on something. Can any of you identify with that? And I'm, I'm high on living. i found a way of life that really keeps me high. And if it didn't, I'd probably still be using drugs and alcohol. Okay? How many of you are alcoholics? You prefer alcohol, okay? How many drug addicts? Okay, and how many pigs? Now, pigs are people like me. You know, when I call them pigs, be proud to be a pig, okay? A pig is a guy like me who drinks everything too thin to chew and chews the rest of it, okay? And pigs make it in this program also. Now, I believe, too, that sobriety is a learning process, that we learn how to be sober people. I really do believe that to to the soles of my feet. And learning is not a spectator sport. There's no magic in this treatment center. There's no magic uh, anywhere else that's going to fix us. We have to work to recover. And we have to work at least as hard as we work to get where we are right now. Have you ever taken the time to think how hard you have worked to be an alcoholic or a drug addict? Think about that sometime. You know, I remember one time in my life when, when in my underwear I stole a bicycle and rode, uh, rode through the snow about ten miles to a bootlegger's house. You know? Uh, that takes strength. Sometimes people say we alcoholics are weak, you know, weak people. Uh, that we have weak egos. And we're among the greatest con artists on the face of the earth. We can manipulate and use anybody at any time. All of us can And people with weak egos can't do that. You're going to hear a lot of things that society says about alcoholics and drug addicts that you're going to find are not true. Okay? So when I talk with you, basically what I'm trying to do is get you to think. I'd like to wind up those rubber bands in your head. Did you know you had them? Any of you had a little model airplane, Benny? Did you have one? And you wound that sucker up and you let it go and it flew, didn't it? We got them in our heads, too. And we need to wind up these rubber bands and get thinking real serious about what is wrong with us really wrong with us and how to get well now most of you if I ask you what your problem was you would say and I hope you can see this if you can I'll write larger your problem is drinking and drugging right? that's my problem You ask an alcoholic what his problem is. He says, I drank too much and I drank too long. And you ask a drug addict, well, drugs are my problem. Are they really? I want you to think about that for just a minute. Are they really a problem? Okay. Kenneth, why did you use? Because I had to. Because you had to. But why? Why did you drink? Anybody. And why did you use drugs? Anybody. What was the reason? made Made you feel good. Right? Isn't that simple? I drank because I wanted to feel good. For some reason, I didn't. And in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll read in the doctor's opinion where the little doctor said men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Feeling good. That's why we drink. Had another word for it too, didn't we? Being high. Huh? And the Greeks have a word for it. I really love this word euphoria. You know? Every time I hear that word euphoria, I think about a seagull just floating over the ocean, floating over the waves, floating in the breeze, effortlessly, no work, okay, involved, just going where the breeze takes him. So we drank to feel good. We used drugs to feel good, to become euphoric, because for some reason we weren't. Now, is feeling good a problem? Anybody? Is it a problem? No, it's not a problem, is it? (laughs) Feeling good, the effect of alcohol and drugs, is not a problem at all. As a matter of fact, for me, and I suspect for you, it was a solution. Think about it. For some reason we didn't feel good when we drank and used drugs. We did. And so we kept on using them. Okay? The effect of drugs and alcohol. Very important. For us to understand, if we're going to understand what is wrong with us to begin with. Okay? Now, let's take it a little further. If drinking and drugging are not the problem, uh, what is? Yeah, anybody, is it Kenny? Why didn't you feel good? Can you tell me? Or John? Let me suggest something. Any of you suffer from guilt? It's quite a suffering, isn't it? This guilt, this persistent feeling of being wrong. Even when there's no reason for it, you feel like, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, all the time. Any of you ever feel that way? You know? And when you did something well, you felt like you didn't do it good enough, so even when you succeeded, you were a little bit guilty about not doing better. And there's a reason for that. Okay? What other reasons didn't you feel good? Come on, tell me. Why didn't you feel good in the first place? Why did you have to have alcohol and drugs? Anger. 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 That's a good one. What's another? Lonely. What? Self-pity. Self-pity? Good one. <laughs> Poor me. Everybody else in the world has got something I don't have and I try to get it and I can't get it. Poor me. <clears throat> okay? Somebody mentioned loneliness. It's a good one. All by yourself. Even when you go into a bar with 200 people in it or into a party with... 25 or 30 people in it you feel like you're by yourself they don't feel like you're by yourself you know they try to bring you into the group but somehow you feel alone you never feel a part of anything I didn't God knows I wanted in and I tried to get in but I felt I'm not like them I'm not like them I don't fit even in my home when I was a kid you know my father was a, a big tall good looking man with coal black hair and my mom had dark brown hair you know And my sister had dark brown hair And in the middle of them was me Pudding head You know With a great shock of white hair And I used to lay around Even as a kid And wonder Stop along here How did I get here From all these dark people I just didn't understand it You know And I cried about it a lot And I felt outside And I felt outside in my classroom I wasn't like them Do you ever feel that way I'm just not like them I don't know what it is about me But I'm not Okay Guilt, anger, self-pity, loneliness uh, How about depression? Any depressives out there? Hmm? Pretty bad feeling, you know You wake up in the morning You want to pull the covers over your head And put the pillow on Because you don't want to go out in the world And be with them Them, you know Them who talk about you And don't like you And put you down And are plotting against you And so you crawl all up in yourself Like this, you know and say I'm not going out there and let them get me any other reasons? shame shame okay shame is a good one that falls in the same category as guilt and right on the bottom down here and I hope you can see it may be one of the biggest reasons of all fear fear lots of forms of fear always anticipating that we're going to lose something or that we're going to lack something you know getting up in the middle of the night and walking into your child's room or running into your child's room and and listening to see if your child's breathing? And then when you hear your child breathing, you put your ear on her chest like I used to do to see if her heart was beating because you're just sure she was going to die because of the way you were behaving? Fear. All forms of fear. Little worries, little dreads, things like that. All the way to fear number 207, I call it. Because I read a book once and a psychologist listed 206 fears and I'd had them all. But there's one fear he didn't have in the book. Fear number 207. But we've had it. The fear of impending doom, Kenneth. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know where it's going to happen or why or when or who's going to do it. But something's going to happen to me and it's going to be bad. No reason for it. But you know that, don't you? You really know that. Something is going to happen and that something is going to be bad. Now the shrinks call that free-floating anxiety. Okay? Mine didn't float, folks. Mine was like a stone in my gut, you know. I like what the teenagers say about free-floating anxiety. They say, look at him. He's wired. (laughs) You know? And I was wired for a long time. That's some kind of fear, isn't it? Now, if I had to put... And we could go on. We could fill up this whole whiteboard with these problems, okay? If I had to put one word on those problems, one four-letter word to describe all those problems, what would it be? Huh? Hurt. hurt or Pain Right? Pain Pain like this A friend of mine in California says The first 15 years of my life I walked around and it was like I had a big hole in the middle of me With the wind blowing through it And it hurt A big hole and it was raw around the edges And the wind going through it was cold and he said other people had this hole And they went and got an education And it closed I went and got educated Mine got bigger Other people had this hole And they went to church And it closed I went to church And mine got bigger Other people got into relationships You know Fell in love Things like this And the hole closed I fell in love Time after time after time God did we fall in love And the hole got bigger How many of you can identify that? Got a hole in the middle of me. And he said, what do you tell anybody when they say, what's wrong with you? Well, you see, I got this hole in the middle with the wind blowing through it. You know, straight jacket time. But that pretty well describes it, doesn't it? An emptiness. You understand? A void that will not be filled. And it gave me a continuing sense of dissatisfaction. Whatever I thought was going to fill that hole, I went and got it. And once I got it, I didn't want it anymore. I'd say to myself, "So what, what's next? There's got to be more here." And I'm a more kind of person, you see? When drinking, if I felt good, I wanted to feel better. and if there was something beyond better, I was going for that. Nothing was enough. Now you got a hole in the middle of you, the wind blowing through it, you got a lot of pain. What do you look for when you got pain? Relief. right? There it is. Now, you got all this pain in the middle of you, and one day, like me, someone hands you a bottle. And you take a couple of drinks of that flit, or a couple of hits of whatever drug you're doing, and the hole closes. My God, it closes. Never closed before. Nothing has ever done that. You know? And bingo, it's closed. And you're not bored, and you're not lonely, and you're not afraid, and you're not angry. You know, and you're not guilty, and you really feel like you're with them. For the first time in your life, you know, you're satisfied with who you are and who you're with and what you're doing. Did you feel that way? God, that's important, isn't it? You walk around for 10, 15, 20, 25 years with a hole in the middle with the wind blowing through it, and you find a substance that closes it. God, that's important. And you're not even going to begin to understand your alcoholism and drug addiction until you understand the value of alcohol and drugs. Think about it. What's the most valuable thing in your life? What's been the most valuable thing in your life? Tell the truth, not what you wanted it to be. Uh See, I had values. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be all those things. And I tried to be those things. But alcohol came first. And you know what happened? Underneath alcohol, all the rest of the values started falling apart. But it was number one, and number two was getting it. Never running out. My whole value system was dominated by alcohol and drugs. Was yours not? Be honest. We don't like it. We don't intend it to be that way. But it is. How valuable. Remember the first little girl you ever fell in love with, Jack? What was her name? John? First little girl you ever fell in love with? Dorothy, first little boy? Who? James. Gene Jean. Jean got around a lot folks Okay Huh? Uh Mickey you remember the first little Okay Yeah You can picture her can't you In your mind You know That's important isn't it Mine was Sylvia Sylvia and she'll remain nameless Okay Beautiful Sylvia Blonde hair Olive skin Gorgeous I was Sylvia's paper boy And I was one of those paper boys uh, uh, that ride around on your bicycle with, you know, no hands on the bars, folding those papers, hitting those porches. You know, I carried 400 papers every morning before I went to school. I was good at it, but I didn't throw Sylvia's up on the porch. When I took hers last and when I got to her house, I parked my bike and I got off of it and I lovingly carried her paper up and put it behind her screen door. Now, why did I do that? Because I wanted to see Sylvia. And when I went to school, I stared at Sylvia. And I daydreamed about Sylvia and I went to bed thinking about Sylvia and I got up thinking about Sylvia and I ate my meals thinking about Sylvia, Sylvia, Sylvia. She dominated my life. Y'all remember? And fifteen years later, it was alcohol, alcohol, alcohol. That's how important. <coughs> and so you don't tell an alcoholic or a drug addict to give up the most valuable thing in their life. Like people used to tell me, you're a nice fellow if you just quit drinking. They didn't know. How valuable that was to me. They didn't know that without that drug, the hole came up. And I felt like I was going to fly into a million pieces any minute. They didn't know that. And I wanted to say to them, what can you give me to replace it? I've got to have this thing, whatever it is that closes the hole. What can you give me to replace it? And all they could tell me was I needed to quit. No replacement. And I wasn't about to give it up, were you? No, sir. No, sir. And if I hadn't found the replacement I found today, I'd still be drinking and drugging. I'll tell you that now. But I found one. Okay? Very valuable. Now, if all that alcohol and drugs did was to relieve that pain, man, miracle. Miracle drug, you know? But that's not all. You know how you have any side effects? Hmm? You had any uh, side effects like uh, you staggered a lot, and you fell down, and you lost your car, and you drove your car drunk, and you couldn't remember who you were with and what you did, and your family members helped you become a real good liar, because the first thing out of their mouth when you walked through the door was, where you been? You know, I used to go out and stay drunk three, four days, come home, first word out of my wife's mouth, Tom where you been. I didn't know where I'd been. But she's my wife. She deserved an answer, so I made up one. Huh? Who were you with? I didn't know who I was with, but I made up an answer, you know? But the last question on her list always threw me. And it was always the last question. Tom, where's the car? I never knew where the car was, okay? But you see, our family members help us to become good liars by asking all these questions, you see. They don't know that. All right? Side effects. Getting into altercations with those guys in blue suits and those long sticks. Waking up in those rooms with the bars on them. You know? I didn't want to do that. I have a friend that says drunkenness is just a bad side effect of alcoholism. I think he's right. I didn't want to stagger. I wanted to feel good. That's all. Just right. How about this? Any of you have any after-effects? Hmm? Did you vomit a lot? I hate that word. It sounds a lot worse than puke You know that? Did you did you try to and couldn't? Those dry heaves Man, they're good, you know Feel like your abdomen's coming out your throat any minute Huh? Did you walk the floor and shake? Did your eyeballs shake a little bit? Huh? Jerk around in your head and you couldn't stop them Hmm? Not so much fun, is it? Did you hear music and turn off the radio and it wasn't playing? Hmm? Did you see those 3D Technicolor movies? Have rats, snakes. Those of you who haven't, keep on drinking and drugging long enough, you will. People think that 3D and Technicolor were invented in Hollywood. They were not. I've got news for you, and I'm going to fill you in on it. Some drunk invented them when he's in DTs. All right? And if you're really fortunate, you know, you can fall down on the floor and jerk and chew your tongue half in two. And you get up in the morning and you crawl into the john. God, how I hated it. Crawl into it because you can't walk. And shimmy up to it And put your arms around it Embrace the shimmering waters You know And make a quick decision My God Which end will I put on first? (laughs) Y'all have made that decision Haven't you? (laughs) Have you missed? (laughs) Now After effects and side effects Fit right into this Don't they? Pain So isn't it funny? Isn't it ironic? The very thing That takes away pain Produces more Ah But you know how to get relief from pain, don't you? You drink again. And if you want a very simple picture of addiction, there it is right there. You drink to relieve the pain. The result is more pain. And you drink again to relieve that, and it's more pain. And you drink again to relieve that, and it's more pain. There's no answer. And you know what we spend our time doing? In between every two binges, we try to figure out how to get that effect, which is so valuable without all those side effects and after effects don't we and you know we always come up with an answer and we start telling ourselves the alcoholic and drug addicts lie this time it's going to be different this time if I just handle it right I'm going to be able to drink like everybody else and we do it again okay valuable Now, these problems we've stated up here, do they just come up out of nowhere? What's your name? Yeah, Ginger. Ginger. Do those problems just come up out of nowhere? you just get angry all of a sudden, guilty all of a sudden, feel sorry for yourself all of a sudden? No, you don't, do you? So those problems are not what's wrong with us. They're symptoms of what is wrong with us. Where do they come from? Now, let me get down to it with you. We're all kinds of people in this room. Tall, short, fat, slim, educated, uneducated Women, men, blacks, different religions Okay, all these things And we're different And we live in a society that stresses our differentness Our uniqueness, our individuality Am I right? I want to take a different tack Did you know that we're the same? Did you know that regardless of your age or your sex Or your religious preference Or where you came from or how educated you are Or how rich or poor you are That your alcoholism is exactly like my alcoholism? That inside of us there's not an ounce of difference? Think about it. And I'll show you what I mean. Because one of the lies we tell ourselves, you see, is I'm different. When I get that bad, I'll quit. You know, when I'm on Sid Row, I quit. An alcoholic is a person who drinks too much, too long, you know. Real drug addicts are are laying back in the attic somewhere with a needle in their arm. And if I ever get that bad, I'll quit. I am different. Well, you're not different. An alcoholic is an alcoholic like a rose is a rose. And a drug addict is a drug addict like a rose is a rose. Because the problem is inside, folks. It's an internal problem. Not outside. Rich people have it and poor people have it. You know that. All kinds of people have it. But it's the same problem, just like appendicitis is the same problem. Now, what is it in us that's alike? Let me suggest a few things and see if you can agree. I'll describe myself. I'm an idealist. Are there any idealists out there? You know, it was like I came into this world knowing how this world ought to be. And I knew how the people in it ought to be, and I knew how I ought to be. And I looked around me, and the world wasn't, and they sure weren't, and I wasn't either. And I got so hung up on uh, what I thought I ought to be, I didn't have time to be. Any of you feel that way? And I was raised as a little man. Tommy, you're a little man. Little men don't cry. Little men don't lie. Little men are never afraid. Well, I had three problems going, you see. Because I lied and I cried and I was afraid. But when my parents, the big people in my life, would ask me if I was afraid, what would I say? No. Look back on your dishonesty. Most of us think we get dishonest after we start using. I got dishonest shortly after I started talking. It seemed like the thing to do. So we hung up on ought to, you know. Ought to. I seldom use that word anymore. Thoughts of bad word, supposes a bad word. Obligation, duty. What I do, I do for fun and for free, okay? Not because I got to. But I am an idealist still. Okay? I am also a perfectionist, and I'm gonna abbreviate that. Are there any perfectionists out there? Everything's gotta be just right at any given time, or it makes me awful nervous or angry. You know? I see a crooked picture on the wall. I cannot stand it. I go in my doctor's office and straighten up the magazines, folks. Do you do that? Do you demand perfection of those you relate to? And do you get uncomfortable when they're not perfect? Do you always go for the top of the heap? In your job, are you the best one? I'll bet you are. Are you going to get there? First place, first place, first place, spotlight, approval, pats on the back. Never second place. Tell me something. When you're not the best in your own mind, do you feel like you're the worst? Huh? That's the way a perfectionist lives, like a yo-yo. Best, worst, best, worst. It'll kill you. It will absolutely kill you. And when things are not the way you want them to be, what do you do? You try to change them. If it's a person, you try to change that person If it's a situation, you try to change that situation and, and the ugly thing about perfectionism Is even when you get it perfect, it's not right Can you identify with that? I'm talking insides now Okay Another one I'm going to abbreviate this too Hypersensitivity I live on feelings. Do you? I don't live on thoughts. I live on actions and reactions based on my feelings. I always have. I'm a feeling person. For years, it was like I walked around with my feelings sticking out 50 yards in all directions and people were always stepping on them. I was more sensitive than I ought to be. I heard a psychiatrist not long ago and he said, Alcoholics and drug addicts are stimulus augmenters. Did you know you was one of those? I didn't either. I didn't know what it was but I always asked questions. I said, sir, what is a stimulus augmenter? He said, it's the person that makes mountains out of molehill, and that feels much more deeply than he or she ought to feel. I said, I knew that. I just didn't know I was a stimulus manner. you know? Another psychologist told me alcoholics and drug addicts have a lot of cognitive dissonance. Did you know you had that? I didn't know what that was either. And I asked, what, sir, is cognitive dissonance? And he said, it means you're always thinking what you don't want to think, and you can't ever think what you do want to think, and you're always being and doing what you don't want to be and do, and you can't ever seem to be and do what you want to be. And I said, I knew that too. You know? I just didn't know it was cognitive dissonance. Now, when your family comes in here for treatment, don't tell them I told you this. But if they say, what is wrong with you? Say, I'm a stimulus augmenter with lots of cognitive dissonance. And don't you upset me. <laughs> and if you really want to, why? I'm telling what Dr. Harry Tebow said about us. We're, we're uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. He said, uh, uh, Characteristic of us is a narcissistic, egocentric core dominated by feelings of omnipotence, intent at all costs on maintaining its own inner integrity. Blow your family's mind, don't play around. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them I thought I was drinking too much, but I found out what's really wrong, you know? <laughs> Hypersensitivity. And this. <laughs> I'm a romantic any romantics out there dreamer fantasizer love soft lights and music yeah? love them atmosphere all those things yeah? dreaming all the time you know what I dreamed about what am I going to be when I grow up you know what I fantasized about being somebody else someplace else doing something else with somebody else and saying to myself, why'd I have to be me? And why'd I have to be here? And why'd I have to be with them? And why do I have to be doing this? There's got to be something better. And I got into books, you know, and I read about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I used to sit and wonder, and this is the truth, why couldn't I be Sir Galahad? You know? And ride that white horse and ride up to the castle, you know, and put the lance out. And a beautiful maiden comes out and puts a kerchief on the end and i ride off and kill dragons. Why couldn't I do that? I'm going to tell you, even my dreams didn't work. I knew what I'd do in my britches first dragon I ever saw. <laughs> and I found out all the great gunfighters in the West one time. I found out they didn't have black hair and black mustaches and dark. Every great killer in the West, check me out if you don't believe it, had blonde hair and blue eyes. Look at me. And I would say to myself, why can't I be John Wesley Harden? Matter of fact, why can't I be anybody except who I am? I don't like me. Bingo. I don't. Like me. And we all got a piece of crying music, you know. We walk into a bar and everybody's so happy they swing it from the rafters. We walk over to the jukebox and play the saddest song on it. Why is it we do that? And each of us has a, a, a certain song that we listen to. It's our crying song. And we drink and play it over and over and over and over and over again, don't we, Ginger? Yep. Huh? Get into some Hank Williams stuff if you want to cry. Ooh. Get your your bottle, you know, and and a Hank Williams record and and sit down and listen to things like, Hear that lonesome whippoorwill. He sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. And by God, you do. And you play that record again. Before it's out of the last groove, you put it back in the first groove. Get in some low-down, dirty blues, some muddy waters. Muddy waters, good crying music. Good crying music. One thing, baby, I just can't understand. Why you can't be satisfied with just one man. Tell me, baby, and tell me true. How can you love me and my best friend, too? I'd rather drink muddy water, sleep in a hollow log. God, that's a good get-down song. Take another drink, you know, and play it again. Now, my particular song was a thing by the four freshmen, okay? Four freshmen. Some of you may not remember the four freshmen, okay? But they sang this song, and it was called Their Hearts Were Full of Spring. And it's the song that I listened to. There's a story told of a very gentle boy and the girl who wore his ring. Through the wintry snow, their love remained still warm, for their hearts were full of spring. Isn't that pretty? But what I love was the chorus. Then one day they died, and their graves lay side by side on a hill where robins sing. And they say violets grow there the whole year round for their hearts were full of strain. And God, I'd cry and take another drink and play it again. I was nine years sober and I found that old record and started to play it and my wife went into hysterics. <laughs> Honest to God, don't play it, don't play it. And I was a little afraid.
1: You know, the connection.
0: And we dream, don't we? God, we dream. Let me tell you a story about dreamers. Any, any winos and winettes in here? Laughter Well, the story told about these two winos, and they they, they were, and you know, winos don't wake up in the morning. I don't know if y'all knew that. Winos shake two. And they shook two under this bridge, and one of them turned to the other one and said, Man, I had the best dream I ever had in my life last night. He said, Yeah, what'd you dream? He said, I dreamed my mama called me home, gave me $25, and told me to go spend the whole day at Disneyland. And the other wino said, Did you go? He said, Yeah, I went. I had the best time I ever had in my life. Said, I saw Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy. I rode all the rides, listened to all the music, went to all the shows, saw all the pretty girls. Other wino punched him and said, that's nothing. I had a better dream than that. He said, oh, yeah, what'd you dream? He said, man, I dreamed I had a luxury apartment. Two cases of Jack Daniels. Said, he came a knock on my door and the two most beautiful women you ever saw in your life came through the door and started taking their clothes off. And the other wino was caught up in his story. He said, why didn't you call me? (laughs) He said, I did, but your mama told me you was at Disneyland. (laughs) always dreaming I'm talking about character (coughs) lots of people talk about personality personality is the outer self it's the self you see it's the self that's obvious it's the role that I play the mask that I wear it may or may not show you what I really am and you know that as well as I do but character is what I am inside You see how we are alike? And I could add to that list, folks, because I've felt what you felt. I've felt what you've felt, and my attitudes have been your attitudes, and yours have been mine, and you know it, unless you're still lying to yourself, and I hope you're not. Now, is that character the problem? Let me tell you something. Some of the greatest human beings who ever walked the face of the earth had that character. Can you see Lao Tzu up there? Can you see the Buddha? Can you see Jesus? Can you see Abe Lincoln? Can you see Martin Luther King? Can you see John of Arc? Yes, you can. So the character's not the problem. we got a beautiful character, but somehow it's killing us. What's the problem? Let me reach down a little bit i got a psychiatrist friend. I know about three sane psychiatrists in the whole world, and this is one of them, okay? And you know what he says? He says, Characteristic of every unhealthy person I've ever met in my life is that he or she has an ego that is not submitted to anything or anyone higher than itself. Let me say it again. Characteristic of every unhealthy person I've ever met is that he or she has an ego that is not submitted to anything or anyone higher than than itself. Another one says, People get sick because they assume they have power they do not have. Now it sounds ethereal way out, doesn't it? How many times have you said to yourself, I'll quit drinking this stuff on my own? I'll quit drinking for the last thing I ever do. I'll use successfully this time. Did you? Then if you didn't, were you not assuming you had power you did not have? Yes you were. and the Buddha said you want too much for yourself and because you want so much you hurt a lot and he said the answer is real simple quit wanting so much quit hurting so much and Jesus said you love yourself too much that's your problem you are self centered that's hard isn't it and again let me say none of us want it to become that way but if you want to find out how self centered you are for the rest of the day check yourself out how many times do you say the word I versus the number of times you say the word we or you? Okay. So what these guys are saying is that ego is the problem. I'm going to draw you a picture of your mind up here for just a minute. Didn't know it looked like that, did you, Ginger? <coughs> Benny, did you know your mind looked like that? I always thought mine was full of holes, but that's, you know, that's and this, this is just a model I'm drawing up there for you because I want to show you what happened. Now, part of that mind is conscious, and it's referred to as ego. Ego is my consciousness of being an individual, separate, unique, okay, apart from everybody else, an entity. Okay? Ego means simply I. Do you know how much of your mind is really conscious? If this whole room where your mind about that much would be conscious all the rest is unconscious think about that and in the conscious mind which we usually think of as some kind of computer that spits out answers there's a lot of things in the conscious mind is a whole set of values things that are important to us a whole set of beliefs our opinions about what's true and good and real that's what beliefs are A window that we look out at the world and form opinions about what we see. And it's called perception. And a whole pattern of feeling, And a whole storehouse full of memories. And yeah, we have a computer. It's called the intellect. The thinker. And we have a chooser, which is called the will. Do you ever think something's wrong with your will? Huh? The will is the ability to choose what you're going to do and do it. Do you ever tell yourself, I'm going to drink successfully this time, and try it, and couldn't do it. Now, the ego has a job to do. The ego is the manager of the mental company. Do you understand that? And it's the ego's job to bring me pleasure and protect me from pain. And it's also the ego's job to protect everything that is valuable to me. One thing that is valuable to me, I've said, is alcohol. Another thing that's valuable to me is that ideal image. What I think I ought to be. Okay? And we'll get back in a minute. Let's go to the unconscious mind. According to Carl Jung, the psychiatrist, the unconscious mind is divided into two parts. One part he called the personal unconscious. And I call it the basement. And you'll find out why in a minute. What do you put in your basement? One word. Junk. Junk. You put junk in the basement of your house, you put junk in the basement of your mind. Make no mistake about it. What the ego does not want to become conscious, it shoves into the basement and keeps it there. There's another part of the unconscious mind, and Jung call it the collective unconscious, and I call it the knower. Do you know there's a part of you and me, John, that knows things we've never experienced? You know there's a part of you and me, Mickey, that contains wisdom? An experience which has been passed along to us from our ancestors in the form of chemical codes in our brains. That we know things that we've never experienced. Sound far out? Did you ever go into a strange town, you would never been there before, but you knew where every building was going to be? Huh? Did you ever pass a, uh, when you're driving down the road, a certain scene and you say, I've been in this scene before, but you've never been there before? Ever sit down in a conversation with a friend and you knew what the whole conversation was going to be? Ever listen to a piece of music you never heard before, hear two notes, sing the whole song? Huh? ever take a walk in the woods dark of night and you walk in a straight line and all of a sudden you walk around and you don't know why and you go back in the morning and there's a big gaping hole there you were fallen in something like that you ever get the feeling you're being protected huh believe it and there's a part of you that knows where to turn think back to that last drunk when you was coming off of it and you were shaking and hurting and puking did you hear a voice coming out of you saying God oh God please help me Yeah, you did. And so did I. There's a part of me that knows where to turn in times of trouble. It's automatic. Think about these things. We're something. You don't believe that, but we're something. It's like the psalmist said, I will praise thee, O Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if I were a Christian, I would call the knower the Christ. If I were a Jew, I'd call it the divine spark within me. If I were a Buddhist, I'd call the Noah the Atman, the great spirit. If I were a psychologist, I'd call it the integrating core of the personality. But whatever it is, it's powerful. You understand what I'm saying? And it's wise. And yeah, in the Noah is where the power is. And I'm sorry if you can't see this. I'm using up the board. And it's also where intelligence is. And Ginger, with intelligence, what I'm talking about is intelligence is this. I can recognize what's good for me and what's not based on my past experience. Okay? Now when you can't recognize what's good for you and do it and what's bad for you and not do it that's what I call insanity. Think about your drinking and drugging. Were you able to recognize what was good for you and do it? and bad for you and not or did you keep going back to the very thing that was killing you and ruining your life over and over again telling yourself it ain't gonna kill me it might kill them it won't kill me now we protect the ideal image Kenneth Kenneth's ideal image and I'm gonna pick on him for a minute is macho man very smart courageous never afraid yes That's what he ought to be, and he's always believed that. And see, the ego takes orders. But one day, he's afraid. And a friend to him says, says to him, Are you afraid? What does he say? No. Where do you think the feeling of fear goes? Right into the basement. Through what the psychologists call ego defense mechanisms. Rationalization, projection, denial, all these things. I'm not getting into that. The feeling is shoved into the basement. And he remembers many times he's been less than courageous. And he thinks many fearful thoughts. And there's a lot that he doesn't know. But what does the ego do? It shoves all the things that don't support the image into his basement. And that is the truth. How old are you? 21 years of junk in his basement. You hear what I'm saying? 21 years of junk, Benny. And some days he walks around and he's so mad he can't stand it. And you ask him what he's mad about, and if he tells you the truth, he says, I have no idea. And he walks around And he's guilty as he can be And he's done nothing To be guilty about Do you ever feel that way And he's depressed And there's no reason for it Do you ever feel that way Because see When you shove these feelings And thoughts and memories Into the basement You lose control of them And you might bury them But they're not buried dead They are buried alive and they create a lot of pain Okay Which demands relief see it can you see it if you have these characteristics and you live in the world we live in you're going to feel these things and if you shove those things into the basement the pain will get so intense that yes you feel like you're going to explode any minute and you have no idea why you feel like you do you just need relief but more important than that you load your basement you cut yourself off from the knower You cut yourself off from power and you cut yourself off from intelligence and you can't recognize what's good for you, Ginger, and do it and what's bad for you not. Am I right? And you can't seem to make an agreement with yourself and keep it. You can't do it. What's missing? Am I talking psychiatric problem here? I am not. I'm talking spiritual problem. Power is, was, and always will be a spiritual concept. And so will intelligence. So you see, we're getting down to it now. Spiritual problem. I don't have the power to be what I want to be and do what I want to do. I know, I've tried. I don't like it, but I don't. So the ego shuts us off from what it ought not to shut us off from. And what's more, when the ego gets in that position, what happens is not only do we try to put all the bad things out of our mind about ourselves, we try to put them out of uh, of our minds about other people. We try to control them, make them into what we think they ought to be. How about alcohol and drugs? Valuable. Do you ever have the experience of coming off one, and you're sick and you're hurting, and what are you saying? I'll never do that again. And you mean it, don't you? I'll never do that again. You know? And then you start feeling well feeling better you know and what's happening while you're feeling better is all the bad thoughts and memories and feelings about that last binge are being neatly shoved into the basement out of consciousness so that five to seven days later you know what you're saying this time it's going to be different this time I think I can drink successfully now if I'm lying to you I'm dying and it actually happens don't forget it in many ways, my greatest enemies when I was an active alcoholic were health and success. When things got good, that was bad. Because when things got good, the little monkey would jump up on my shoulder and say to me, "Hey, you don't need good at that me. That's for those bad drunks. You're not a bad drunk." And when the alarm clock would go off, the monkey'd pop up and say, "You sleep fifteen more minutes, and you up two hours late for work." And the monkey never shows his head while you're hurting. Just when you're feeling good, think back on your own drinking. If there was a problem, i worked through the problem. If there was a crisis, I'd work through the crisis. Then, when everything was okay, is when I'd do it. Because it didn't like me, Ginger. I tore it out of my house. Alcohol didn't do it, I did it. Bottom line, I hated my guts. I was not what I ought to be. I was not perfect. I was extremely sensitive to that. And you see it has nothing to do with drinking or drugging. It's a spiritual problem. Now, I'm not going to tell you to give up the answer to your problem without suggesting a solution. I am not here to shuck and jive. I want you to know that. I am not here to tell you to do anything I have not already done. I am not here to suggest to you that you believe anything that I don't believe and You better put that in the bank. Because i got a fatal disease and I do not want to die and you've got one and I do not want you to die what I want is for you to understand what is really wrong and quit playing games no shrink can fix you not because they're poor bad people but because they can't fix you they don't have the power no wife no husband no friend can fix you they don't have the power no minister can fix you they don't have the power who's got the power? We didn't say it You know it The knower knows it God's got the power Am I right? Whoever or whatever He or she is There's the power And if what Young told us is true Part of that power is in us And we're running all over The place looking for it And there it is Closer to us than our next breath And the great spiritual teachers have said Don't look for the kingdom of heaven In Jerusalem Or on the mountain Or over here or over yonder. The kingdom of heaven Is right in the middle of you My God What have you been looking for? So in the next session when we get together, let's go into a solution to this problem. Because there is one. There really is. Okay? Any questions at this point? So the problem, you see, is not the character. It is that the character is under the control of I. And as long as my character, being what it is, is under the control of I, I am going to self-destruct The ego, the manager of the company, is acting like it's chairman of the board. You hear what I'm saying? It has gotten inflated, and that's our basic problem. Our ego is bigger than it ought to be. doesn't mean we're in love with ourselves. You think about people with a big ego. Oh, he's conceited. He's in love with himself. I never was in love with myself. But there's an opposite end to that. I sure was in hate with myself. All right, we'll come back and go into a solution if you're interested. Thank you.